0: Verse 20, the Bible says, beginning in verse 17, Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Together, 18. Then I told them of the land of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven... He will prosper us, therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Again, our series is Stand With Commitment. And sermon number two in the series is A Tongue That Is Persuasive. Last week we looked at a heart that is principled. We talked about having a heart that is principled. We looked at the five uh, five principles of commitment. And this week we're going to look at the idea of a tongue that is persuasive. Let's pray. Lord, as we endeavor to understand the subject matter this morning, would you help us to set aside the cares of this world, the concerns of this world, the hardships that we're going through that would distract us, shopping lists and memos and agendas and schedules. May we put all that to the side for just a few minutes Lord, may we honestly just forget about the clock and be focused on your word. And Lord, may you work in each of our hearts and lives. And would you help us to double down on our commitment to take a stand for Jesus, to take a stand for you. Thank you for standing for us and going to Calvary to die for us and paying for our sins on the cross and standing when it was inconvenient and being committed to us, Lord. Help us to return the favor in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 19, verse 14 tells us, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth. I want to say here by way of introduction that I am passionate about a lot of things. I'm passionate. I'm passionate. There are things I'm very passionate about. I love sports. Ever since I was a little guy, uh, I made my first basket basket on a 10-foot hoop when I was four years old at... Uh, the, the gym that, uh, my, where my father was a principal, all the other kids would be running around playing free stag and not me. I was standing in the, in the court there at the volleyball line, underhanded, throwing that ball up, and uh, day after day working to get it up high enough to over the rim. I remember the first time I made a basket, just how excited I was. I remember in the fifth grade, the first time I played on an organized basketball team. It was a JV team. We had black jerseys with blue letters. You could hardly read the letters. In fact, when we committed a foul, the, coach, the ref would have to get real close to to see what the number was, but I remember the very first shot I ever made in an organized uh, sports game was a three-pointer, and I was smiling ear to ear for about 20 minutes after that shot went in, and uh, I became a sports fan as a little kid. I remember being a little boy, and the Chicago Bulls were at their height, at their peak, and Michael Jordan was obviously the leader of the team, and I got to stay up late and watch the Bulls win championships beating uh, uh, John Stockton and Carl Malone and the Utah Jazz, and I just know that with sports my whole life, I've been passionate. The camp I took Matthew to, my son, this past week down in the south, when I was about 16 years old, I was sitting in the service at that very camp, and the preacher was talking about idols in your life, and he got on sports, and the Lord started working on my heart because up to that point, I would play basketball for eight or nine hours a day all summer long. And I didn't care much about God and the Bible. I went to church, but sports was my idol. And so I had to dial that back. And as I've grown closer to the Lord over the years, sports have become less and less important. But even to this day, I'm a sports fan. I love the Ravens. I love uh, the Orioles. I love the Cowboys. And I, I, I love um, the Chicago Bulls still. And I love Alabama football. i lived all over the place, so I've got all kinds of teams. I am passionate about sports. Though stay with me here. Sports is not the only thing I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about food. How many of you here are passionate about food? You like good food. My favorite holiday is not Christmas. It's Thanksgiving. Can you guess why it's Thanksgiving? Amen. You got better food at Thanksgiving. No, that's not the only reason, but I love food. Um, uh, my favorite food in the world, I'm going to betray my American self, my favorite ethnicity of food in the world is is Peruvian food. If you've never had Peruvian food, see me or my wife. We can send you to a good one out in Stanford or New York City. Peruvian food is American food times about five. It's And you all are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Just trust me. It's amazing. My second favorite type of food is Filipino food. I love good Filipino food. Anytime I get invited to a party where there's a Filipino gathering, I can expect two things, really good food and karaoke. Amen? Amen. And uh, I don't sing karaoke, but you can expect those two things. And I love American food. I like a good potato salad, and I like a steak that's cooked real well. Amen. I mentioned this past week being down in New Orleans, I went down to the French Quarter, and I ate in a little hole in the wall restaurant, and I got red bass Alfredo. Oh, it was, I, I know it's lunchtime. I need to stop. But I love. Good food. I'm passionate about good food, and and I enjoy good food. I'm I'm passionate about my family. I was away from Angela in April this week, and each night on the way back from that uh, preaching service, I would be on the phone with my wife, keeping her up till. We were an hour behind there, keeping her up till 12:30 or one in the morning. We would talk for an hour and hour and twenty minutes sometimes on the phone, and had a great time. I I, I got home and just enjoyed getting to see my wife and my daughter again. And I I live for my family. I love my family. To me, family is 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 everything. It it, it's important to me. I love White Oak Baptist Church. Uh, I eat, sleep, drink, breathe. White Oak Baptist Church. Now, if I could get my family to eat a meal at White Oak Baptist Church, play basketball with me, I'd be in heaven. (laughs) I'd have it all. It'd be great. Um, uh, I, um, I, I became the pastor here five years ago next month. It's been five of the greatest years uh, uh, from a career standpoint of my life. I enjoy the people. Uh, this week I spent time in prayer for all of you that uh, attend here faithfully, and whether you're a member or not, and uh, prayed for you and prayed for your needs and asked God to help you with your week. And um, uh, I've missed the building. In fact, I, I got up early this morning and told Angela, said, I'm going to go ahead and go early because I've got a couple of extra little things I need to do and while that was true my real reason for wanting to get here early is I hadn't been in the building in a week and I just missed this place and so I'm passionate about White Oak Baptist Church but above all of those things the thing I'm most passionate about is my salvation I am so grateful that Jesus Christ came to this earth some 2,000 years ago and he died on the cross he became every lie I've ever told every lustful thought I've ever had, every act of disobedience and rebellion, He became my sin who knew no sin so that I could be made the righteousness of God in Him. You know, as a man, I don't cry very often. In fact, I I can count since I've been an adult how many times I've just broken down and wept. But I'll tell you what gets me glassy-eyed. I'll tell you what gets me misty-eyed is when I think about what Jesus did for me. It, it, it makes my heart beat a little extra strong knowing that the God of the universe loved little old me, insignificant me enough to die in my place. You know, my salvation is the thing that I am the most passionate about. If I sit next to a stranger on an airplane or at a mechanic shop or I meet someone out in a park or um, at a dentist office, um, at a dentist office, I'm... Probably not because I'm just unhappy to be at the dentist's office. Amen. But uh, in the average venue, I meet someone. um, uh, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Not just because I want to be a super Christian, but because it's a big deal to me. Jesus is all the world to me. You know, if you made me give away everything I'm passionate about and keep one thing, I would keep my relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he means everything to me. He means everything everything to me you could say about these items i listed off sports food my family white oak baptist church my salvation you could say that i am committed to these things now here's a truth you can't get away from watch this now if you are passionate about something if you are committed to do something or committed to something for the long haul here's the truth And here's the crux of the whole sermon. If you're passionate about something, if you're committed committed to something, you will talk about it. You absolutely will talk about it. You say, well, I'm an introvert. I don't talk very much. You have your friends. You have your social media probably. I guarantee you I could go through your social media and I could figure out what you're passionate about. You know why? You talk about it. Uh, I could uh, sit your friends down and interview them and say, "Hey, what's such and such passionate about it? Well, what are they committed to? And what you are passionate about, what you're committed to, those are the things you talk about." Furthermore, if you are truly committed to something or someone, uh, that, then you can't be talked out of it by others. You cannot be persuaded against something that you're. Passion about. I share things that I'm passionate about in a positive light, but can I tell you something I'm passionate about in a negative light? I hate sauerkraut and tomatoes. Hate them. Now, not stewed tomatoes, raw tomatoes. I, I won't eat it. I've, I've been this way since I was a little boy, especially tomatoes. I put tomatoes above sauerkraut. If, if you were going to torture me, feed me tomatoes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That would, that would torture me beyond all get-out. You know something? You are never going to persuade me to like tomatoes, no matter what. No matter how you put it in something, I, I'm going to taste it. I'm going to spit it out immediately. I, I hate it. You'll never convince me. Um, I'm a Baltimore Orioles baseball fan. Pray for us. We're terrible. We, we, we lose. We, we just got off a 14-game losing streak. Painful. And I'm committed enough to watch about the first six innings, Then we're getting blown out. I just have to turn it off because I... I can't take it anymore. But you know what? Watch this. I will never, never be a Boston Red Sox or New York Yankees fan. You will never, ever, 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 ever. I would walk across broken glass. I would crawl across hot coals before I would do that. Really cute. When Matthew and April were babies, I was five, four years old. Right before we moved up here, our pastor that was commissioning us out to come up here, he had Matthew and April come up on the platform, this big church, you know, seats 800 people, 1,000 people, and they're standing up there on the platform. They're just, you know, the age they were when we moved up here five years ago. And he gives them both a bag, and in that bag they pull out an Orioles jersey. And he says, put your right hand in the air and repeat after me. I will never be a New England sports fan. And so they made a vow, amen? So don't try to convince them either. Um, You know, when you're passionate about something, you cannot be persuaded against it because you're committed to it. Are you committed to the Lord? Can you be talked out of going to church? Can you be persuaded against sharing your faith? Can can someone come along and and rattle your doctrinal cage enough to where it just causes total upheaval in your life and all that's thrown up in the air? The old adage is, he that is uh, persuaded against his will is of the same opinion still. If you're so locked in on something... You cannot be persuaded off of it. I will add here that if a cause is both consequential and important enough to you, then you will also work to persuade others to come alongside of you and help. Now, um, uh, again, to give you an example of this, you may love tomatoes, and I hate tomatoes, and you sit there and think, what is wrong with your head? You don't like tomatoes? There's something you're... Something in your head is broken. The truth is, whether or not we eat tomatoes is inconsequential, right? And so I'm not going to sit down and convince someone to not eat tomatoes. I did my kids when they were little, to my wife's dismay, amen? Uh, No, I'm teasing. But I will sit down and try to persuade someone of something that is consequential. You know what's consequential? My faith. Because the Bible says that those who die in their sin will spend eternity in hell. I can't think of anything more consequential than that. What kind of neighbor would you be if you saw a family across the street from you in their home having dinner and their roof was on fire and you didn't go over and by all means necessary, get them out? But Christians, Christians aren't ready to be persuasive with their tongue even though their neighbor's spiritual house is on fire And if they die in that spiritual fire, they're going to go to hell. You see, if we're really committed to something, you don't need a preacher to get up here and tell you to go soul winning. You don't need a preacher to get up here and tell you to be faithful to church. You don't need a preacher to get up here and tell you to live right. You don't need a preacher to get up here and tell you to be righteous. Watch this, graduates they are getting ready to go off to college. If you're really committed to the Lord, you don't need me to get up here and tell you that when you get to your destination and you, you, you enroll in college, you don't need me to get up here and tell you to find a church and get in church. If you are committed to the Lord, then by default, you will go to church no matter where you live. You will do right no matter what the cost. You are committed. You are passionate. And you know what? That's what we find with Nehemiah. The Israelites had been carried away into captivity some years prior... And there they were in captivity some 70 years prior. uh, Nehemiah was most likely born in Babylon. Babylon had been taken over and now was under uh, the the rule of the Persians. And the king Artaxerxes is in charge of the Jewish people. And Nehemiah has been made the cupbearer to the king. Now people were always trying to kill the king. And so what Nehemiah did is he would take the, the drinks and the food that the king would eat and drink. And he would drink it first they'd watch Nehemiah to see if anything was going to happen to him. And if nothing happened to him, then he would pass that on up to the king. He was the king's cupbearer. And Nehemiah uh, was uh, serving under that rule. Well, one day word came to him that the city of Jerusalem, the city of his fathers, lied in total ruin. The wall of defense had been broken down and uh, the city had been burned and the people were sitting in ash heaps and uh, things were not good in his homeland. And when word came to him and how bad it was, he broke down and he fasted and he prayed and he showed up to work the next day and uh, he was supposed to be in a good, happy spirit and a good mood and he showed up and he was trying to fake happiness but his body language was defeated and sad and uh, the king noticed that he wasn't happy and said nehemiah what's wrong and if if the king so ordered nehemiah could have his head chopped off the bible says nehemiah was afraid we'll talk about that more in a little bit but he began to lay out for the king king artaxerxes the state of his father's city the state of his people and the king said to him well, that's not good. What are we going to do about it, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah said, well, send me back and let me build the city. And so the king gave him all of the resources he need needed, the authority, the letters, and he went back to Jerusalem and he surveyed the city and saw how broken down it was. And he gathered the people of Jerusalem up who were broken, who were sitting in ash heaps. And he said to them, let's rebuild this city. And they all pitched in, and even though there was, some, um, there was some opposition, even though there were some struggles, Nehemiah used his tongue to follow through on a commitment to love his nation. Nehemiah used his tongue to persuade the king to let him go. Nehemiah used his tongue to persuade the Israelites to build the wall. Nehemiah used his tongue to stay off Sanballat and Tobiah. Tobias, uh, Nehemiah used his tongue in order to stand for what was right. He used his tongue in order to show his commitment. And my friend, if you are saved today and you want to stand for Jesus with all your heart, you want to live for the Lord with all your heart, then you must use not only a principled heart, but you must use a persuasive tongue in order to stand For the Lord. I propose that those who are saved by God's grace are called to be ambassadors to the rest of the world on behalf of heaven and the God of heaven. Ambassadors, what do they do? They persuade those around them uh, in the direction of that which is favorable for their kingdom, for their country. While they persuade with their lifestyle, they also persuade with their lips. As Christians, we stand with commitment. We stand with Passion, we passionately persuade, we persuade with our tongue. Let's jump in this morning and look at three thoughts as we continue our series, Stand With Commitment, and we consider this truth a tongue that is persuasive. To those visiting this morning, on the back of your bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. The notes will be up here on the screen. Let me encourage you to take notes as we go. Notice, number one, our allegiance, our allegiance. And with that, notice the word commitment. Now, there are three aspects to that um, uh, title, stand with commitment, a tongue that is persuasive, the word commitment, the word tongue, and the word persuasive. We're going to look at those three words in in, in a light of the life of Nehemiah, okay? So we see our allegiance. We see that he was committed, and we're called to have an allegiance to our God. Letter A, notice, to stand is our duty, to stand is our duty. Look back at Nehemiah chapter number 1 and look at verse number 3. Nehemiah 1, 3. The Bible says, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eye open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Word comes to Nehemiah from someone who dwells in Jerusalem at just how bad the the living situation is and how God's wrath and God's judgment has come down hard on Jerusalem. And he knew it was bad, but he didn't know it was this bad. And when word comes, how broken his Uh, city is, the city of his fathers is, he immediately senses a strong duty and obligation and emotion and breaks down and begins to pray and fast and weep over his people you understand christian today that standing for jesus is not just something that uh, for the uh, the few valiant christians it's something for every christian to do if you're saved here today god has called you to take a stand for what is right you take a stand at home you take a stand at work you take a stand in the neighborhood you take a stand in your voting you take a stand in every way possible christians are called to stand in fact ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Why did do... We might have a wire issue here. I'll just preach in the pulpit. Alright. Very good. Man, that broke my, my cadence and flow. Where was I? Alright. Why why is it that God has called Christians to put on the whole armor of God day in and day out? The breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the, the loin's girt about with uh, uh, with truth, uh, the gospel shoes of peace, a feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace and the sword of the spirit. Why are we called to do that? We're called to do that so that, watch this, we can stand against evil. It's our duty. It's our duty. It's not just something that you do when you feel like it. It's not just something you do on Sunday when you get dressed up and come to church. It's something you're to do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's something you're to do in your conversations with your friends. It's something you're to do with what you post on social media if you choose to be on there. It's something you choose to do with the friends that you keep and uh, the acquaintances that you have and the parties that you attend. My friend, to stand for Jesus is not just something you do on Sunday to make yourself feel good. It is a lifestyle. To those of you getting ready to go off to a secular college, let me just encourage you, plant yourself firmly in a gospel-preaching church and be committed to that church. You need to stand for what's right. You need to be involved. Not just when you're home on summer vacation. You need to stand for what's right. Here, Nehemiah is living in a godless nation around godless people. But when word comes that his city is broken, his allegiance is to his people. her be. we see, to stand should be our delight. It's not only our duty. It ought to be our delight. Look down at verse number 8. Here we find again, Nehemiah, in the middle of a prayer, Remember, I beseech thee the words, the word that thou commandest, thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, Thou there were of, uh, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and look here, will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by the great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, look here how he's delighting in God. I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant And the prayer, uh, I'm sorry, uh, let now I beseech thee, uh, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire, look here, to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant his mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Why uh, exactly did Nehemiah say? When he spoke to God, you know what he did? He went back into Solomon's prayer when the temple was dedicated. And he said, remember, Solomon asked that when these people are scattered among the nations, if they turn to you with a sincere heart, that you will restore them. He said, I'm claiming that promise. God, I am delighting in you. Can I just say this? It sure is a whole lot easier to stand for what's right when you love the person you're standing for. I've had friends in the past that irked my nerves, got on my bad side, and then they got attacked. And I knew the attacks were wrong. And because I was a friend and I was obligated, I stood up for my friend. Can I tell you it's a lot easier to stand up for a friend that you like Amen? Some of you will only stand for Jesus because the preacher gets up and beats you over the head and tells you to do it. Can I tell you, it's a whole lot easier to stand for Jesus when you're in love with Jesus Christ. Nehemiah was heartbroken. Heartbroken. Crushed. Over the status of his city. But you know, had he been like many Christians today, he would have just shrugged his shoulders. Well, I wasn't born there. I don't have any attachment to that place. Here's a phrase we hear all the time. It is what it is. What can I do about it? I'm just the king's servant. I'm just a slave. Nehemiah said, I don't know what I can do about it, but I can pray. And I love my God, and I'm going to go back to my God, and I'm going to devote myself to him even more and delight in him. Now, again, this is graduation Sunday, and I don't mean to beat the graduates over the head, but I just, again, want to make another point here. If you're not willing to walk with God, then in your Christianity is going to fall off real fast when you get to college. It'll be something that your parents do, but you don't do anymore. You have to make him yours, he's got to be yours. You've got to love him with your whole heart. To stand for the Lord should be our delight. Number one, our allegiance. Number two, notice our assertion. Our assertion. It wasn't enough for Nehemiah to simply fast and pray. It wasn't enough for Nehemiah to feel sad that the city of his fathers laid in ruins. God had put Nehemiah in a place of influence and he would need to open his mouth and say something. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Notice the word risk. Risk. Look down at chapter 2 in verse number 1. Nehemiah chapter 2 in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twelfth, twentieth uh, year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had been before time. Now I, watch this, now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? There is not, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Look at this next phrase. Then I was very sore afraid. You see the risk here? He's sad in the king's presence, and, and he's scared. Because if the king's having a bad day, listen, these kings had absolute power. Absolute power. You woke up on the wrong side of the king, and the king woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and you happened to get on the wrong side of the king. He could order you imprisoned, and then eventually ordered you dead. And so if the king just happens to be in a bad mood, Nehemiah's life could be at risk for just being sad in his presence. Was Nehemiah committed to stand for what he saw was right? Yes, yes. Parting of standing was speaking even if it meant his head. Then Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem and he has more what-ifs he must face. Look at the risks here. What if the people of Jerusalem don't want to rebuild? What if the people of Jerusalem reject me? What if I try and rebuild the wall and fail? Nehemiah faced some risk, but since he was committed, he used his tongue and and persuaded others to join in and help him. Look at 17 and 18. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. We open with this. Then said I unto them. those that word said. He's committed. He's passionate. He's using his tongue. He's being, pers- uh, being persuasive. He's being assertive. The, then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem. See the assertiveness here, that we, may, that we be no more a reproach, an embarrassment. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good unto me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for this good work. Uh, we're talking about risk. When we take a committed stand, we will always face risk. When we stand up while everyone else is sitting down, we stand out. Let me say it again. When you stand up while everyone else is sitting down, what's going to happen is not only are you going to stand up, you're going to stand out. You're going to stand out. And guess what? People don't like folks that stand out. You want to get criticized? Stand out. Be different. That's a sure way to make it happen. A lot of Christians aren't standing up for Jesus because they don't want to deal with the attacks of other people. So they just go along to get along. Nehemiah came to a place where the people had a defeatist attitude. How do you know they had a defeatist attitude? For 70 years, they had been sitting in ruins. And he came and said, hey, enough's enough. Let's get to work. You know what they could have said? Nah, this is our new normal. Nah, they're just going to knock the wall down again. Nehemiah, you think you're something special coming from the king's palace with your nice robes and your horses and your decrees? Go back where you came from. They very well could have said that. But Nehemiah said, I don't care about the naysayers. I came here to do a work and I'm going to be assertive, and I'm going to take the risk, and we're going to get it done. But not only did Nehemiah face the risk of rejection of his own people, Nehemiah faced risks or attacks from without. Let me word it this way. Nehemiah not only faced the rejection from within Jerusalem, he also faced the risk of attacks from without Jerusalem. Look at 19 and 20. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant The Ammonite and Gershom, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Look how they framed this Will ye rebel against the king? Then said I them, Answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. See how he's being assertive? Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. Look here. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. What's he saying? He's saying, get out! You're not part of us. Get out of here. First, Samballot and Tobiah would question their work. Then they would belittle their work. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 1. Turn over to chapter 4 and verse 1. First, they questioned... Now they're going to be little and make fun of and scoff. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews? Well, they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will and will they uh, revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite was by him. And he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. I guess he had read the story of the three little pigs. Um, What's he doing? He's questioning the work. They're questioning the work. They're belittling the work. And when that didn't happen to to, to serve their purpose, they turned and decided to threaten the work. Look down at verses 7 and 8. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem. And to hinder it. You see the risk involved when you stand for what's right? You may have your own confidants and friends reject you, question you, belittle you, but you are certain to have Satan and the armies of evil oppose you. When you stand up, you're going to stand out. When you stand out, you're going to get attacked. You're going to get attacked. Here Nehemiah is trying to lead the people to rise up and build. And now they are facing the threat of several militaries coming in as a pact and wiping them out. How did Nehemiah use his tongue to keep others committed? Talking about that tongue, that assertiveness, that persuasiveness. Look down at verse number 9. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 9. Nevertheless, look here. We made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. What did Nehemiah do? He's got the people building and uh, the enemy's coming in and they're they're preparing and they're making a pact and word begins to get around and the people begin to get rattled. And what does Nehemiah do? He says, hey, let's gather and let's have a prayer meeting. You pray at this hour and you pray at this hour and you pray at this hour. We're going to pray around the clock. We're going to pray separate. We're going to pray together. But we're going to come together and we're going to call the God of heaven and we're not going to Standing for what is right. Nehemiah said, I have been called to do a work and I'm going to lead the work and I don't care who the enemy is. I know who my God is. I'm going to stand for what's right and I'm going to use my tongue to help others keep this commitment. I just want to reiterate that when you take a stand, you take a risk. And it is a risk worth taking. Letter B, notice the word responsibility. You say, Pastor, you scared me. Now I don't want to take a stand. Well, I'm sorry. You have a responsibility to take a stand. Amen? Go back to Nehemiah chapter 2 and look at verse number 4 and 5. Nehemiah chapter 2 and look back at verse number 4 and 5. Here we see again Nehemiah with the king before he departed for Jerusalem. The Bible says there, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make uh, uh, for... Let me start again. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah and unto the city of my father's sepulchers, look here, that I may build it. He said, If it's okay with you, king, I've told you why I'm sad. Let me go back and let me take a stand for what's right and let me help put my father's city back in order. Look down at Nehemiah two, eighteen. Nehemiah two eighteen. Here we see Nehemiah. He's already ridden around the city and observed the damage. He's on his own. He's come back. He's gathered the other Jewish men around him and the leaders that are sitting there in, in rubble. And look at verse 18. He's got them around him. He says, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which is good unto me as also the king's word, that he had spoken unto me. And they said, they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for this good work. You know, Nehemiah felt a strong obligation, not only to love God, but to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Watch this. He felt a strong obligation to stand up for the Israeli kingdom. Do you know that you and I have been called to take a stand for the kingdom of heaven? What's Matthew 6.33 say? Say it with me if you know it. Ready? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first my own kingdom, building my own name, having my own wealth, having my own prosperity, having my own success, making myself a big deal. Oh, no. Am I supposed to build the kingdom of the corporation I work for and see some great success there? By the way, you have a job. Work hard at your job. Amen? You ought, to, you ought to be loyal to your company. Now, not loyal to your company over God, but let me say this. The first kingdom in your life that you ought to build is the kingdom of heaven. You're to seek that first. You're to put that first. You have a responsibility to stand for Jesus. You have a responsibility to love him. Are you committed in your stand for Jesus? Are you using your tongue? Are you being assertive? Are you putting out there what you believe? Are you helping to build the kingdom of heaven? Let her see. Notice the word reward. Look look down at Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse number 1. So we see Nehemiah is committed to Jerusalem, committed to the kingdom of Israel. He convinces the king to let him go. He's assertive, uh, uses his tongue, and then he goes and he, he, he gathers them into Jerusalem and he's assertive, he uses his tongue. We see the risk that he took. We see the responsibility that he felt. And here we see in chapter 3 that his commitment, his assertiveness is paying off. Look at verse 1. Then um, Eliashib the high priest priest rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. Look down to verse 2. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho, and next to them builded Zakur, the men of Emory. Look down to verse 3. But the fish gate did the sons of uh, Hassanea build. I could go on down and read all through chapter 3, person after person after person to their part. Watch what happened here. It Standing for what was right and rebuilding the city became contagious. First the high priest built a portion of the wall and then someone else stepped up and built a portion of the wall and then someone else stepped up and built a portion of the wall and before you know it, uh, it's become contagious and Nehemiah is leading the charge. He's making sure they have the resources. In fact, other Jews are coming, if you read this book, out of other cities and coming in and helping to rebuild the wall and portion after portion after portion. Many hands make light work. All of these people are rebuilding the wall of defense and the gates that make up the wall little at a time. Time. Nehemiah's risk is paying off. Nehemiah's sense of responsibility is paying off. And now he gets the reward. Look down at chapter six and verse 15. Turn over to chapter six and verse 15. He took a stand. He felt allegiance to his country. He was assertive with his speech because of that commitment and that all paid off. Look at verse 15. So the wall was finished in the twenty-and-fifth day of the month, Elul, in fifty-and-two days. That's amazing. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen or unbelievers that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. How did this wall get built so quickly? Nehemiah saw a need and he committed himself. He used his tongue and persuaded the king to let him go. He used his tongue and persuaded the people of Jerusalem to arise and build. He used his tongue and persuaded the enemies of Jerusalem to leave them alone. Our allegiance, our assertion. Number three and lastly, let's notice our attitude. Our attitude. And notice that word persuasion. I'm almost done with the message this morning. Let me give you an A, B, and a C. Notice letter A. Notice the word favor. Favor. Look down at Nehemiah chapter 2 with me. Turn back over to chapter 2. And look at verse number 1. Boy, I believe what I'm about to share with you right now is going to help some of you become far more persuasive. Some of you, let me just say this where we read the verse. Listen. Some of you are passionate about the Lord. Okay? You got the commitment thing down. You got it down. You love God with all your heart. Some of you in here have no problem being assertive. In fact, you're probably a little too assertive. All right? You're quick to stand up. You see something not right at work, man. You just tell people off, and you're not real nice about it. So those of you that are in that camp, you really need point three. So let's watch point three here, okay? Our attitude is important. And by the way, if you're not real assertive, you need this as well. There's some points here for all of us. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and I gave it unto the king. Look here. Look at this phrase. I have this underlined in my Bible. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Now I had not been before time a sad in his presence. Look down at verse 3. And said unto the king, look here, let the king live forever. You see his, his favor he has with his king? Now, was Artaxerxes a saved man? Probably not. Was Artaxerxes serve a pagan gods? I'm sure he did. Was Artaxerxes involved in heavy sin? Oh, yeah, he was. But Nehemiah was his servant. And the Bible says that every day he came to work, his attitude was positive. Some of you here are afraid to invite your co-workers to church. Because if they found out you were a Christian, they would drop dead of a heart attack. You cuss just like they do. You talk bad about your husband or wife just like they do. Some of you here, you don't have that problem, but you're late to work all the time. What kind of a testimony is that, Christian? You're playing Candy Crush in your cubicle. See how I alliterated that? You like that? (laughs) You see, Christians ought to have a reputation When someone says, oh, he's a Christian, oh, she's a Christian, well, that makes sense. That's the hardest working person we have in the whole building. Was it Mahatma Gandhi that said, I'd be a Christian if it weren't for Christians? Now, that logic is not, not correct. It's flawed. We should look at Christ, not the Christians, amen? But Christian, for some of us, we're the only Bible... That others will ever read. You see, you cannot be persuasive with your tongue if everyone at your lo- job does not like you. Everyone in your neighborhood does not like you. Some of you go to a family reunion and you got your Bible out and you're like stabbing them the whole time. Now, listen, you need to use the Word of God to witness. But some people see you coming there, oh. Here he comes again. He's going to beat us over the head with the Bible again. Oh, I've said it many times and I'll keep saying it. Listen, that relative of yours, that co-worker of yours, that neighbor of yours, that acquaintance of yours, they do not care how much you know about the Bible until they know how much you care about them. The deeper you love them, how about instead of jumping into a conversation about the Romans road right off the bat, You take 20 minutes to get to know them for who they are. Then we can persuade people. You can persuade people. Proverbs 16.7 says this, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. How about Romans 12.18? If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Letter B, notice the word fervency. Having an attitude of fervency. No, I don't have a scripture passage I'm going to read to you in this point, although you can find what I'm going to share with you out of Nehemiah 1. There is no question that Nehemiah was fervent in his love for his homeland and the well-being of that homeland. Watch this now. There are two forms of spiritual fasting in scripture. Two forms. Watch this. This is, this is important. I know it, it's 12 o'clock. I'm almost done. Hang with me just a few more minutes. Give me your attention. The first form of fasting is when we intentionally deny food or something else our flesh enjoys for the purpose, spiritual fasting now, for the purpose of reading our Bible and praying and walking with God. Okay? You might skip lunch and go into your, go into your car during work and pray instead. Right? You may decide to get off Facebook for a month or all social media for a month. And take the time you were, is wasting the right word? Using on social media, and you use that to walk with God instead. All right, you're making making a mental choice. But there's a second, deeper form of fasting. And this is when something is so troubling in our life, we lose our appetite. And we go to the Lord in prayer. You see, Nehemiah was so passionate about God in Jerusalem that when he got the news, he lost his appetite. He had no desire to eat because he was that fervent for his God. America needs Christians to look at the immorality of this country and be so heartbroken by it that they don't have to reject food They lose their appetite and they fall on their face and they pray. And they say, God, how can I get involved? How can I make a difference? This church, your family, your family needs someone in it who will consider the lost souls within your family and be so crushed by the fact that they're not saved and they're hell bound that you lose your appetite because that burden becomes so heavy and you fall to your knees and you say, God, I don't want to eat. I want my family to be saved. We need Christians here who are so fervent for the Lord that fasting and praying becomes a regular part of their life. Oh, there's nothing wrong with making a mental choice to fast. Most of the fasting I've done my life has been in that vein. But occasionally, we need a Christian who is so fervent toward the Lord, so committed to the Lord, that when they open their mouth and speak, that fervency flows forth. One last thought here before I give you letter C. When Nehemiah spoke to the king, he spoke with energy. It came from his heart. It wasn't, well, king, if... If if you're up for it, it's not too inconvenient for you, you know, I I wouldn't mind going over to Jerusalem and, you know, maybe seeing uh, probing for a building committee, seeing how interested the people are. Oh, no, Nehemiah was like, look, I need to go there right now. If you can, please let me go and I will build that wall. You see the fervency that he spoke with? Letter C, lastly, notice the word fortitude and our Attitude. You will become far more persuasive if you have favor with your friends, your coworkers, your family. You will become far more persuasive if you become passionate about what it is that you believe. You will become far more persuasive if you'll get a backbone about yourself. Turn over to Ephesians chapter six. We're done with this. Look at verse eleven. Ephesians six is our, Ephesians six thirteen is our theme verse. For this year, we'll get to that here in our reading. Look at verse 11. and Let's read down through verse 14. When I pause, I want you to read the next word. All right, let's read with some fervency this morning. Amen. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore taking you to the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand, withstand in the evil day. And having done all to, Stand. what's that next word? Stand. Therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the blessed breastplate of righteousness. The best plate is the breastplate. Amen. God is calling soldiers, Christian soldiers. Who will stand, withstand, stand, stand four times in just four verses? Stand, withstand. By the way, if you want to withstand, you better stand. Uh, Stand, withstand, and stand for the cause of Christ. I'm just going to tell you this evening the darker this world gets, the better you better be at having a backbone. If you're going to stand for Jesus, you're going to face an onslaught from the world, your own flesh, and the devil. You must have a backbone. You must stand on purpose. You cannot be detoured. You cannot throw in the towel and quit when things get, when things get tough. I, I want to ask you three questions by way of closing this morning. And I want you to look at your own heart as I ask these questions. The first question is this. Where is your alliance? Allegiance, rather. Where is your Allegiance. Are you half in and half out on God? Especially the youth in the room, listen to me. You didn't really go off to college? Mom and dad's faith isn't going to work anymore, it's got to become yours. Are you you loyal to the name of Christ who saved your soul? There are many Christians here. You want a comfortable form of Christianity. Cross-bearing is not comfortable. Are you loyal? Do you have allegiance for Christ? Question number two. You said, okay, I said yes to that one. I'm committed. Okay, then this question's for you. Are you assertive? Are you using your tongue to persuade others for the kingdom of heaven? Is it obvious that you're passionate about God? Question number three. How is your attitude? Have you gained favor with the world around you? Are you fervent in your stand? Does your commitment to the Lord have a backbone? Will you stand for Jesus? Are you committed to the cause of Christ? Are you using your tongue to persuade others to stand with you? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Oh, I guarantee you, you're talking about something. I guarantee you, I get you in a conversation. I can figure in about five minutes what you're passionate about. Would you get on to the topic of your faith within that five minutes? Or are you distracted with things that are going to burn up with a fervent heat one day? Those of you that are committed, are you using your tongue to let others know? How many here would say, uh, Pastor Lejeune, something in the message today, the Lord touched my heart. Something in the message today, the Lord is working on my heart. Pastor, pray for me that me and God will get this thing fixed and straightened out. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Something something today that was said or read in scriptures. God's working on my heart. I see your hands. You can put them down. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I know that I'm going to heaven not because of who I am or what I've done. I'm going to heaven because I turned to Jesus. What he did on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. I turned to him. I called on his name by faith, and he saved me. If that's your testimony, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? I can think back to a time when I put my faith in Jesus. Here's my hand of testimony. Many hands. Not every hand. Many hands. You can put them down. If you didn't raise your hand, let me just thank you for being honest. Not only with with me, but with yourself and with the Lord. But I'm going to press on your honesty just a little bit harder. With your head bowed and eyes closed, everyone's head bowed and eyes closed in the privacy of the moment, please understand I would never embarrass anyone. This is between me, you, and the Lord. Who here would say, I've never put my faith in Jesus, or, Pastor Lejeune, the truth is, if I were to die today, I really don't know where I would go. I'd like to go to heaven, but I'm just not quite sure. If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up where I can see it? Is there one? I just don't know. I see your hand. Is there another? My friend, if you raise your hand, in just a moment we're going to have a gospel invitation. Pastor Andrew is going to be standing right down here in front of the Lord's Supper table. He would love to take the Bible and show you how you can know you're going to heaven. If you're sitting with the person that raised their hand, feel free to help them with that decision. Encourage them. Let's stand to our feet this morning.